Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would. I think the guys have a handout. We're in Nehemiah chapter number four, and I know that uh, the hour's gotten late, and so we'll try not to be long this afternoon. Some of you are already starting in on your nap. And so Nehemiah chapter number four, and uh, I'll tell you, as we look at these couple of verses here to, this afternoon, <clears throat> I, I feel with all my heart that although things are well and we know God's in control, that I really believe that God wants us to do our part. I hope in your life and in your heart that you realize that some things are worth fighting for. Would you agree with that? And, uh, and, and listen, if we don't fight, uh, the Bible talks about the good fight of faith. If we don't fight and we lay down arms, then we already see the devastation, what's going to happen to this world that we live in. And I, I know this, that if the Lord tarries his coming, uh, I, I'm fighting for my children, my, my grandchildren, for those that are going to come behind me. And as we look at these couple of verses this afternoon, look at Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse number 13. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families. Now notice how he puts them there, with their swords, with their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles, Wally and Lynn, and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. Now, when you look at this portion of scripture and you come to the book of Nehemiah, you know how it starts. Nehemiah's in the palace. He's the cupbearer. He is basically in charge of testing and tasting uh, anything that the king would drink so that the king doesn't die. By the way, you think that's a non-important job? It's very important because if the king dies, then it's a serious matter. But here he is, and he catches word. He hears about uh, Jerusalem, the, the, his homeland, and how uh, the, the walls are broken down and all the devastation that is there in Jerusalem. And he has a burden for it. Now listen to me. We know what's going on in the world. We know what shape America is in. And we even understand, uh, even personally, some of the situations of, of our families and our homes and some of our children and, and on and on and on. We know about the devastation. You know why there's devastation? Because the walls have been broken down. You see, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, and even today, Walls are a source of protection. Without walls, there's no protection. The enemy comes in, does whatever he wants. And when I think about Nehemiah and how, you know, the Bible, when we get to chapter 4, our text this afternoon, that they're already in the process of rebuilding the walls. Now, these walls, if you look at and you've ever seen pictures, and they would be old pictures or mock pictures, the way they would build these walls is they would gather rocks and they would make mortar and pitch and various things to, to put them up. And, it, and they, were, they were basically just rough rock walls and that's, that's oftentimes what they would do. And these walls in the city, and we've been to Jerusalem, we've seen parts, very low parts of the old wall. And of course, new wall parts that have been added to the top of it. 
But building a wall is difficult. That's why a lot, not many people want to build a wall. Building a wall is backbreaking work. People say, well, you know, listen, I'd love to do something around the church. And then you say, well, okay, well, we, we, we need help here. We need, well, don't you have something that's a little bit less work? Work's actually become a bad word for many people. The same was true in Nehemiah's day. And the Bible records how that, that it was necessary for them, and Nehemiah knew it, to build the wall. Why? Because there were going to be other people that were going to come and try to attack them. The enemies would come. And, and by the way, the enemies, is still true today, that, that the people of this world, they don't want us to worship God the way God has commanded. You find that all the way in the book of Genesis. Remember the whole situation with Pharaoh and how God kept instructing the man of God and he said that God said, let my people go and how Pharaoh said, okay, well, I'll let you do this. It was never what God wanted. It was what the Pharaoh wanted. See, a lot of times they, they, the world doesn't want us to worship God and they stand in constant opposition to the work of God and because they are, we can become very weary and very discouraged. You know, sometimes people ask, you know, well, why are, Pastor, why are we doing this? Why, are we, why do we have these goals? Why, why do we have these projections? Why are we constantly, look, because there's always a work to be done. And I love the, the book of Nehemiah because they never stopped the work. They, the truth is, they completed the task in a record amount of time. They completed the task and, and, and it was, they were victorious in their day. But when I thought about Nehemiah's day and I think about us today, just like those in Nehemiah's day, guess what? We're in a sense, we're wall builders too. We need to be busy building walls between the things of God and the things of this world. There ought to be a distinct difference between the things of God and the things of this world. And the walls will separate our lives from the ungodliness that surrounds us on every hand. We build walls that are designed to protect the people and the things that we love from outside attacks and the destruction. And, and it is true that from time to time, just like Nehemiah, we can become discouraged because the devil is always throwing his fiery darts. You know, I, I told a couple people that everything we tried to do this week, that, that the devil was fighting. And I said, it only took me about a day or two because I knew what the theme was, that I realized if the theme is, it is well, and I believe that it is well, then I'm just going to have to give this week, and I'm going to have to give whatever needs to be done. I'm going to have to give it to the Lord, because I know that God will get us through this, and he did, every last bit of it. We can get discouraged, and we can grow weary in the battle as we, as we get older physically, emotionally, spiritually sometimes. We can become weary and, and to do what God was, was, has called us to do in our day. And so as we look at this passage today in Nehemiah chapter number four, there are some tremendous truths here to help us, even in this afternoon, that, that God is teaching us to remain strong, to be faithful, to stay active in the, the struggle to build what is necessary, the walls of life. And there are some things that are worth fighting for. I told uh, Pastor Odom when he called last night, we talked for 20 minutes, and I told him, I said, I love the fact that not just the younger people in our church, but many of our older folks still have the spirit of Caleb. I, I, just because we get older doesn't mean that we have to lay down arms. We, we ought to continue to fight 
and realize that there is much at stake, just like in Nehemiah's day, and there are things that are worth fighting for, and I hope that you understand these simple things this afternoon. Notice number one, our faith is worth fighting for. Our faith. Look in your Bible how it says here in chapter 4, look at verse number 2, how that he spake before his brethren and the army of the Samaritans and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? I mean, in other words, you know, people have said to us many times, what are those crazy Baptists doing over there? There's a work, and guess what? The world's going to mock. People drive by sometimes. We're out there working. We're changing the sign, whatever it might be. People are driving by. They're almost like, I can't believe somebody's actually at that church during the week. Most churches, there's nobody ever at church unless the, the church house doors are open. And we're here all the time realizing there is much to do. And the enemies in Nehemiah's day, just like ours, they did not want Nehemiah nor the Jews to sacrifice to the Lord. Look at what it says in verse number 14 of chapter number 4. It says, I looked and arose and said unto the nobles and the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not afraid of them. Look at these words. Remember the Lord. Nehemiah says, look, you need to remember the faith. Why we're here. We're not here just to play church. We're not here to just feel good about ourselves. We're here to remember the Lord. We're here to remember the faith that has been delivered unto us. And those that were opposing Nehemiah in his day, they didn't want them to be engaging in worshiping the, God, worshiping the Lord. That's why they knew that if the walls went up, then the people of God were going to get together. They were going to assemble together. They were going to begin once again to worship God. And they knew that God was a powerful God. They, they remember that. There are many in our day, like in Nehemiah's, that oppose biblical preaching, worshiping God, living for Christ, what we have, you have to believe this, is worth fighting for. It is. God's still looking for those who will worship him the way that he instructs us. Look at this. God, God wants us. He's a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants us to be ready to fight. Look at this. Fight for our right to worship him. Do you know we have a right to worship God? You know, we live in a land that, that a freedom of religion is part of our constitution. And our church and our nation was founded upon biblical principles. Look what the Bible says in Jude chapter 1, look at verse 3, or really Jude, verses 3 and 4, only one chapter. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you, that's what this afternoon, that's what God said. Pastor, just exhort my people that they should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, can you, you have to understand the world we live in today. They don't want God. They don't want nothing to do with God. They don't want nothing to do with the Word of God. But yet the Bible says to us that God has delivered. He has, he has extended 
the faith, what we believe today, the doctrines of the Word of God. And the Bible says, earnestly contend for it. That means that our faith is worth fighting for. And if it's going to be well, then we must fight for what is right, and that is for our right to worship God. And there there are times, and it's happened, we've already allowed the enemy to silence our praise. We've allowed the enemy to empty our altars, to extinguish our testimonies, and we need to fight for what is left. Hey, listen, over in the book of Revelation chapter 3, the Bible instructs the church there, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are, that are ready to die. We need to fight for what is left. We need to recover what we have lost. Look back there in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. Nevertheless, God says, I have somewhat against you, church, because thou hast left thy first love. Do you love God today? I hope you do. The Bible says that, listen, our faith is worth fighting for. How many of you would agree with me? Our faith is worth fighting for. Look at secondly, we're almost done. Our families are worth fighting for. You love your family? I hope you do. Your family is worth fighting for. I look around, I see some children in here, some teenagers. I know there's some of us as adults that have grown children. We have grandchildren. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm not going to give my family up to this world. Now, again, I, I want to follow the instructions of the Word of God. Look what it says. Look back at verse 14. He says, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. You know what Nehemiah is doing there? He's reminding them that they are responsible, that they are to fight for their families, not just for their faith. They're to take a stand, and then their, faith, their children and their families would not perish at the hand of the enemy. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, look at this, great verses for us to live by. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. If salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, says, but to be cast out, trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all them that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is them. You know why they had a problem with Nehemiah? You know why they had a problem with the Jewish people? Because they were letting their light shine. The world doesn't like that. I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to our families, they're worth fighting for. I'm not about to give my family up to the things of this world. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, not part of it. Every last piece of it, why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. God says, look, you better make up your mind right now. If you don't take a stand for your family, you're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your family to the world. Families are in trouble this afternoon, and we need to fight 
the good fight of faith for them. We need to bathe them in prayer. We need to make sure that we soak them in the word of God and that we battle the enemy tooth and nail to protect them if it is necessary. And just like Nehemiah in his day, I want to remind you that if you are saved today, your family is larger than your immediate family. When I think about this, and I'm serious, I'm looking at my family. We're the family of God. Now, certainly, I'm going to fight for my immediate family, the one that God has given to me. But I'm going to tell you something. Anybody messes with one of you, I'm going to fight for you. I, I, I think that every one of us ought to look out for one another. We ought to pray for one another. We ought to encourage one another. The world would have us to be torn down. We need each other. This is the church of the living God. If you're saved today, all other saved people are your family. And it's yours and mine responsibility and duty to reach out to those who are under attack and to share the love of Christ with them and to help them in their struggle. Galatians chapter 2, look at verse 6. Bear ye one another's burdens. And look at this. You know why? Because if you do, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. That's what Jesus did. He bore our burdens on the cross. The Bible also says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 that oftentimes, listen, there are those because of the battle, because of the attacks, there are those that get wounded. Look, I can tell you uh, from my experience in my own life that we are not to attack our wounded. What are we supposed to do to those that are wounded in the battle? We're to love them. We're to help restore them. And by the way, look at the admonition here. Brethren, if, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such in one. And do it in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. See, don't write people off because of maybe one failure in their life. That's, when I think of churches, and I've seen that. Look, do we all make mistakes? Have you made a mistake? I know I have. I may make some this year. But I'll tell you something, when we write off a family member, that is not the way of Christ. It's not the love of Christ. And our faith is worth fighting for. Our families, it's worth fighting for. And then notice thirdly, our future is worth fighting for. Now right now, you don't know what your future is, but God does. God knows what the story is for Bible Baptist Church these next 70 years. He knows what it is this year. When I think about Nehemiah, as the Bible says again in verse number 14, Nehemiah says, I looked and, and I rose up and I said to the nobles and the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. He says, don't, don't, be, don't be so worked up about these people. And then he goes on to say, as we read just a minute ago, he says, you, look, you need to fight for your, for your sons and for your, 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 your daughters and your wives and your houses. Can I tell you, when I think about our sons and our daughters, you know what that is? That's our future. You know, I look at some of these younger kids here in our auditorium this afternoon. We're all getting older. They are the future. And according to God's instruction from the Word of God is that every one of us, 
we need to understand that we must invest in them. It's very important that we take the time because the enemy would love to have his way in their lives. I read this week how the New York Post, back in April of 2019, they released a survey and the results, they said, were being monitored by some U.S. trends in behavior or behaviors since 1972. So this was a culmination of, you know, probably almost, almost 50 years worth of data. And here's what it revealed. That the number of Americans who identify as non-religious. Now, nowadays, here's what they call them. They call them the nons. That's what they call themselves. I don't call, you know, people say, what religion are you? I'm a non. N-O-N-E-S, that's what they call themselves. Here's what the, the, the results showed. It revealed that the nons, the number of Americans who identify as non-religious is 25% and rising. A professor from Eastern Illinois University stated the rise of nons has been consistent for two decades and it shows no signs of slowing down. Non-religious. You know what that really means? No God. No Bible. Nothing to do with God, the things of God. Brother John and I, about two years ago, I don't know if he remembers, we sat down with a rabbi and we had a lengthy discussion about many different things. And of course, you know, just like even some of our members, I mean, like Paul in the Bible, had a, some people have a, a real burden for Jewish people. And, and the reality is, is, as much as we want to try to reach Jewish people, the Bible says that God so loved the world. We ought to reach Jews and Gentiles. But naturally, a Jewish rabbi has a real burden for Jewish people. And this, this rabbi began to tell us, John and I, about how there was a program. I can't remember what he called it. But it was a program that they had intentionally designed where they were trying to entice young Jewish teenagers, boys and girls, to make trips to the Holy Land, the land of their heritage, to be, watch this, not re-indoctrinated, but to be indoctrinated into the traditions the teachings, the ways of their people. Because we now have generations, he said, of Jews that know nothing about the Jewish faith. They know absolutely nothing. And they feel that the way to connect them is to get them to the land where Jesus spent time, to the land of their ancestors, to see firsthand with their eyes, and maybe as Jeremiah said, that their eye would affect their heart. Do you know that I have found that many young people today have no desire? That's why I get excited about our young people being in church. Don't ever let me catch you discouraging one of our young people. Because I'm going to tell you something. I believe in the young people today. And I love to see them in church. Any chance I get, I encourage them, I give them a cupcake, whatever I can. Because again, they are our future. 
And Nehemiah understood this. He knew that if it was up to the enemy, that there would never be life again in Jerusalem. Just let the walls stay. Let them be broken down. No worshiping God in Jerusalem. Nehemiah knew that it was time to take a stand, and he knew the time was now. I'm afraid that we as Christians have turned our heads far too long. And you know what the enemy has done? He's just destroyed the church. Jesus said these words, I'm come that they might have life and they they might have it more abundantly. But notice what he said before that in John 10.10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. You see, the devil tears up everything. He started in the garden and he's been working ever since. So we have to understand, far much too long have saints allowed the enemy to tease our children, to entice our children, to traumatize our homes, to terrorize our hearts, to tranquilize our worship. If we ever expect to salvage anything for the glory of God, then we must take a stand and we must take a stand now because tomorrow may be too late. You see, our future is worth fighting for. We've got to determine that we're going to take our stand. We're not going to allow the troubles and the trials of life, the attacks of the enemy, and fear that comes along to destroy us and the work of God that has been entrusted to us. I love the song, Stand Up. Stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Every piece put on with prayer. When duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle. The next, the victor's song. Jesus said these words in Matthew 10, 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Folks, can I tell you this afternoon, God wants us to be in the wall-building business. God wants us to restore some things that have been broken down. I said it in Sunday school this morning, if we don't teach our children to give, guess what? They won't give. If we don't teach them to pray, they won't pray. If we don't teach them what true Bible worship is, worship will look totally foreign to God. We have to understand that God wants us to build for Him, and there are some things that are worth fighting for. I look back in history, and I see that God took a determined Martin Luther, and He used Martin Luther to spark what we call the Protestant Reformation. God took a determined Dwight L. Moody and he shook two continents with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He took a ragtag group of disciples and and he made a difference for the cause of Christ. And the Bible says in Acts 17, these are they that have turned the world upside down. They made a difference in their day. Have you ever wondered this thought? And I have. I've thought about this many times. Have you ever wondered what God can do with us? We read what God did with Nehemiah. We read what God did with his disciples. 
I wonder what God can do with us. I'll tell you what God wants us to do is God wants us to take a stand. God wants us to realize some things are worth fighting for. The possibilities, they're only limited by what we are determined to do and what we're allowing God to do. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus beheld them. Here's what he said. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, not just this year. Our faith, our families, our futures. I hope you're ready to stay in the fight or to get in the fight. I know you might be tired. We're all tired. But I'm going to tell you something. It's worth fighting for. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for the sweet time we've had today. Pray that you would just bless our church in the days ahead. We know that if we're going forward, the devil's going to fight. But Lord, we know that we're on the winning side. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. And Lord, we know that you have empowered us. You told us to go into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you said that the power that you had, that you were giving us your power to do your work. Now, Lord, thank you for the great day, the wonderful meal, the challenge that we received, not from the pastor, but from you. To God be the glory as we go through this year and we look back next year to this time, may we truly say that it has been marvelous in our eyes to see you working. It is well. And Lord, with you in our lives, it will remain well with our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.